Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, and understand, just try to uh, unpack some of the different levels to it. Um, one thing just uh, and off, off the top I, that I think is sort of um, compelling, just an interesting comparison, is the fact that really you've got two structures in the Torah, in the five books anyway, that have very uh, particular designs. One, of course, is the Mishkan, and we're spending a lot of time with the measurements of that. But it's good to sort of just keep in mind, just as a point of contrast, or just uh, just comparison, that that also we have the Ark, right? Noah's Ark, the, the Teva. And and just to take it a little bit further, it's, it's interesting that one was for the water and one was for the desert, right? De- opposites, opposites. I'll tell you, just it pops into my head, my mother's... Maiden name before she got married was Camel, hmm. and my father's mother's maiden name before she got married was Fish. <laughs> so yeah, we have uh-huh. you have the desert <laughs> and you have the water. <laughs> so um, so 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 it's it's like Hashem is is giving us the tools that we need to survive in every environment, whether it's just during a flood or when everything is just wiped out in a desert. And, and both situations require that a person has a plan. Remember, we said in the name of Reb Shlomo that uh, a person can't be free unless they have a plan. Because if you, if you have your freedom, let's say no one's oppressing you, and it's just you, but you don't have a direction to go in, then you're just a slave to your own desires at the moment. So unless you have some kind of plan, you can't really be free. And, you know, just I'll give you a practical tool, which is a lot of times, um, and I know I'm definitely in this category, a lot of times uh, people have things that they want to do, but they're, they're too busy to do them. And then all of a sudden comes a, a moment in their life where they have all the time in the world. And yet, ironically or paradoxically, they're crushed by the amount of time that they have that's free. Unstructured time can also be crushing because there's so many different things that you want to do simultaneously that it can induce a form of paralysis and then you don't know what you're doing at all. So, so, so a lot of people... Um, would benefit, I know I benefit, if you try to think ahead, what am I going to do this week? Like on Sunday or whatever it is. Lay out your plan for the week. What am I going to do Monday in the morning, in the afternoon, in the, in the evening? You know, let me schedule some appointments instead of just sort of being reactive and just waiting for things to happen and, oh, I have to do this errand and then I ran into that person and I did this. In other words, structure a plan for the week or before the day starts, the night before, Figure out what are you going to do the next day? Because a lot of times if you're deciding that morning how you're going to spend the day, it's very hard to do. But if you have the luxury of at least planning it out the night before, that can be very helpful. So so that's on a very practical here and now level for us. But in terms of the the broader level, in terms of the the flow of the parshiot um, in the Torah, we get our freedom from Egypt. We get our divine instructions, the, the Torah. 
And now we've got all these parshas that are hyper-specific in terms of the building of the tabernacle. This many planks, this many curtains, this many hooks, and it's extremely detailed. But the broader idea is this is the implementation of the plan. Now that we have a vision for what direction to go in, that's the Torah. Now that we have the vision, now we need the tools to actually build something and construct something with real precision and detail with our lives. That's the laying out. Now, I want to go further because there's a very, very fascinating teaching that I found some sort of like um, hints, uh, ramazim as we call them, to, to, to support this. Um, not that it needs my support, but just it's, it's always amazing to see how, how, uh, how the Torah is just levels within levels within levels, you know? If you just, uh, you just open your eyes and, and, and look. So it says that the architect of the, of the Mishkan was Betzalel. And, and Betzalel, it says, was someone who understood how to combine all the letters of the olive base. That means olive through tough to make the Mishkan. And that's a very esoteric teaching. That's very abstract. Because obviously we know when we were making the Mishkan, if you look at the, the Parshas, they, they're painstaking in telling us the materials that were used to make them. And it doesn't say, you know, he used the letter Gimel over there and he used the Dalit over there. It doesn't say anything about that. You know, and yet, and yet the Torah is telling us that somehow he combined the Hebrew letters of the alphabet in order to make the Mishkan. So what is this teaching telling us? Okay. Um, so let's go a little bit further into it. See, whenever we're talking about the Aleph Bez, the, the, the Hebrew letters, and, 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 and let's, let's, let's sort of billboard this, this one reference point right now, which is that the Mishkan itself, the tabernacle itself, was a miniature, a microcosm of the whole universe. Okay, that's, that's very important to understand, if we're to understand this teaching, that Betzalel used a command of the olive base, of the olive through tough, in order to make the Mishkan. You have to understand that God combined the letters of the olive base in order to make the world. So it would make sense if the Mishkan was a miniature of the world, that Betzalel would similarly have to have the knowledge of how to combine these divine energies in order to make the Mishkan. Right? So that's okay. Now it's already becoming a little bit more clear. Now remember, when we're talking about the olive base, on a deeper level, we're talking about, we're talking about the fabric of reality, but each, you can think of each of the letters as a different energy wavelength. Right? If you want to sort of like correlate these teachings with sort of like science and physics and things like that, that would be an appropriate um, connection to make. So he's combining these energies. Now, it's very interesting because Aleph, all the letters of the alphabet are the letters Aleph through Tuf. Aleph, of course, is the first letter of the Aleph base, and Tuf is the last letter of the Aleph base. So from the top 
to the bottom, or from the beginning to the end, right? Now listen to this. Isn't it interesting that um, Betzalel was from the tribe of Yehuda, and the partner who he made the Mishkan with was from the tribe of Dan. Dan is spiritually the lowest of the tribes because they fell into idol worship. That's the, that's the um, reason. So, so, so here you have in the Mishkan participation from the top tribe, which you can say is like the Aleph, all the way down to the last tribe spiritually, which you can say is like the Tuf. Okay? Now let's go further. I was thinking that, that it was interesting to me that the, really the two main parshios that are talking about the construction of the Mishkan, the inside and the outside of it, are Parshas Truma, which begins with the letter Tav, and Parshas Tetzaveh, which also begins with the letter Tav. Right? And we have something in, uh, in Torah, the Gomorrah talks about in Mesech to Shabbos, which is letters of exchange. There are certain letters with cor- which correlate with other letters. And there are different systems, including one called Atbash, which we talk about from time to time. And in Atbash, the letter Tuf can be exchanged, which is the last letter, for the letter Aleph, which is the first letter. So I was thinking about this, you know, that it's sort of like, wow, the the Parshas of the Mishkan are in Truma and Tetzava. Those are two Tufs. And Tuf really corresponds to the letter Aleph. And then I was thinking, wow, that... That spells a word, Aleph and Tuf, like from the beginning to the end. Remember, if appropriately, the Mishkan itself, if it's a miniature of the universe, right, it starts, so to speak, from the top, from God, who is likened unto the Aleph, not that God has any form, God has no form, God has no body, he makes bodies, he himself doesn't have a body. But since Aleph is the number one, and there's one God, right? So the Mishkan originates from, from the Aleph, and then God puts it down on earth. That's like the Taf. Sinking well, so that's like, that actually spells a word. That's Et, right? Aleph Taf spells Et. And then I was thinking, wow, Et, that's, that's like, Breshis bara elokim et hashamayim ve et haaretz. Right? That's the first passage in the whole Torah. With beginnings, God created the heavens. Et would be translated as the. The heavens and the earth. So what, what were we saying? We were saying that the Mishkan is a miniature of the heavens and the earth. And the rabbis say that all the hidden aspects of creation are included in the Torah in the word et. How? Because 
God used combinations of the letters in order to create everything. And it says, Breshis bara Elohim, God created using et, letters olive through tough, hashamayim, ve'et, using letters olive through tough, ha'aretz. In other words, all the hidden aspects of creation are hinted at, at this word et, because it's olive through tough. It's all the letters of the olive base. So, so, I was thinking, yeah, so like the Mishkan is like et, the et of Breshis bara Elohim es hashemayim the es ha'aretz, you know? That's what it is. And then a few moments later, as I'm thinking this in shul, my good friend Ben Sion comes up to me, right? And he says, oh, you know something? I think that you would be interested in this teaching. The first two words of the Parsha that we were in, Tetzava, right? Which is the words, Va'ata Tetzava. He says the words, Va'ata Tetzava, is Gematria Breshis. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, all of this connects right to the passage of Breshis, and he comes up to me and says, Va'ata Tetzava is Gematria Breshis. Right? Didn't hear anything that I was thinking about at the time, you know? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like almost super, it was like a supernatural moment, basically, you know? So. But then let's look at that even further. Va'ata, ve is a prefix. Ata, tetzava. Ata begins with what letter? The letter Aleph. Tetzava begins with what letter? Taf. It's all Aleph through Tafs. In other words, and what did we say? That how did Betzalel make the Mishkan? With his knowledge of all the letters, Aleph through Taf. So... And Breshis, why Why is it Breshis? Because the Mishkan is a miniature of the heavens of the earth. So now, let's go deeper. So, Va'ata Tetzava. And it, you know, Va'ata, by the way, what are the first two letters of Ata? Aleph Tav. <laughs> So it's like levels within levels within levels within levels. And why would Tet correspond with <laughs> Well, I'm saying Tet. I, I mean tough. I've, I've been saying I've been saying tough. It's tough. So so um, so so Parshas Tetzava is is most famous for for something which is that from the beginning of um, Sefer Shmos, um, where Moshe Rabbeinu was born. So the end of the Torah itself, Moshe Rabbeinu is, Moshe is mentioned in every single Parsha in the entire Torah, from the moment he's born until the end. Except for one, and that's this Parsha. Now, if you look at the content of what this Parsha is talking about, it's mostly talking about the garments of, of the, um, the Kohen Gadol. Right and the and the and what with the with the people who ministered in the in the in the in the tabernacle in the base of Migdash, what it is that they wore. It's all about garments. So I was kind of thinking about that. I was thinking, well, look, Moshe's not mentioned 
and the Parsha is about garments. Moshe's not mentioned, and it's about garments. And I thought, oh yeah, okay, I, I, I think I get it, you know, on one level anyway. You see, Moshe is the opposite of garments. That's why he's not mentioned. See, what are, what are garments? See, on a, on a very here and now level, garments are the clothing you put on your body. But when you, when you understand Torah and reality on a deeper level, g- garments refer to nature itself. That, that, that nature is a garment covering God. Now, of course, we know that there is no distinction. There's not two powers. There's the power of nature, and then there's the power of God. And God just happens to be stronger than nature. That's not the case. It's only one power. Nonetheless, nature itself conceals godliness because people see nature and it looks like there's an independent order to the world. And maybe even Chas Shalom, no God. Right? So nature becomes this concealment. It becomes this overlay. Right? So what's What's Moshe all about? So we're saying that on a deep level, this Parsha is about garments. But what's Moshe about? Moshe is about stripping away all of the garments and just seeing Hashem directly. Because Moshe is giving us the Torah, Moshe is, and the Torah itself is an x-ray into the essence of the world. So Moshe is giving us the tools and the ability to see through all of the garments. So in the Parsha that's about garments, of course Moshe's name is not mentioned. Because Moshe is all about getting rid of the garments. In the presence of the garments, Moshe is not there. Because Moshe is all about revealing that which is concealed. And garments conceal. Moshe reveals. Now, you have... Continuing with this idea that this Parsha is about garments and it's about the the Mishkan, you have another fascinating level, which is that the Mishkan, in addition to being a microcosm for the universe, the Mishkan is also a microcosm for a human being. And there are all sorts of divine correlations between the person and the Mishkan. So, for instance, like the menorah, right, would, would correlate with your eyes. Right? The tablets of the Torah, the Luchos, would correlate with your brain. The incense altar would correlate with your nose. Right? The Mizbeach, where you brought the offerings, would correlate, I think it's with either your stomach or your mouth. So you see that there are all sorts of correlations between the Mishkan itself and a human being. But it's a microcosm for a human as well. And when we talk about garments on a human being, we talk about three fundamental garments, which is, imagine you have your soul, right? What are the three garments on the soul? The first is thought, the second is speech, and the third is action. And it's, that's an amazing distillation. If you want like an x-ray into essentially what you are. 
You are a creature who thinks, speaks, and acts. These are really the three fundamental breakdowns. These are the three fundamental garments, as they're referred to, right? On you yourself, and you yourself are a mishkan, right? Now, now there's an interesting correlation because on the one hand, we're saying that the Mishkan is a miniature of the universe, which it is, right? And it's created through the combination of all the letters, just like God created all the letters to make the world. On the other hand, it's also compared to a human being. Well, a human being is like a world because it says in the Talmud, if you save one person, it's like you save the whole world. A person is like a world in another way, too, because you have your soul, which is an aspect of God. It's an aspect of heaven, right? And then you have your body, which is the earth. So every single person is a miniature of heaven and earth, your soul and your body. So, so let's go further into this, this overlap between the Mishkan being a miniature of a person and at the same time being a miniature of the world. How do these two things work simultaneously? We see how each one is true in its own way, but how are they both true at the same time? So there's a, like a parable that I, that I uh, read one time that I want to connect to this. It wasn't said about the Mishkan. Um, I don't even know if it's necessarily from a Jewish source, but it, 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 it's very relevant to our discussion right now about the Mishkan. So the story is that a, a, a man comes home from work. He's, he's very, very tired. And he, he's got a young child who wants to play with him, and he just he doesn't have the strength. So he's reading the paper, and the child really wants to play with him, and the man gets an idea how to buy some time. So in this newspaper that he's looking at, there's a complicated map of the world. And he, he takes it and he rips it up into a lot of different pieces. And he makes sort of a jigsaw puzzle out of this map of the world. And he kind of lays it out for the child. And he says, when you put this whole thing together, then, then we'll play. Right? So as soon as he does it, the child, like a few moments later, comes back to him and says, I'm done. And the guy says, you're, you're done? Like, how, how is it? And he looks, and it's, it, it's right, he's done. He said, how did you do that? He said, it was simple. On the other side, there was a picture of a person. And when I put the person together, the whole world fell into place. So... So this is, this is the incredibly empowering thing about us, about the Torah, about all of these things, which is that if you fix yourself, you fix the world. There's a direct connection between fixing yourself and fixing the world. And if you think about it, you really see this interplay in the Mishkan itself. Because why did people bring offerings to the Mishkan? Well, there were Thanksgiving offerings, right? It was appropriate to give thanks. That's a, that's a level of fixing too, you know? If you're not grateful, 
then you haven't fully realized who you are yet. You know? So, so even that aspect, being grateful, is a form of fixing yourself. Um, certainly, um, the Mishkan was ideal if a person did things that they weren't supposed to do. That part of the fixing process was to bring certain offerings. And if they brought those offerings, that was a fixing of the self. So isn't it interesting that in the very location where a person was fixing themselves, that place is a miniature of the world, and you see these two things happening simultaneously between the fixing of the self and the fixing of the world. Rabbi Israel Salanter said most famously, and he he laid it out in a beautiful way, but I'll just kind of cut to the point. He said that when he was young, he, you know, he really wanted to just fix the whole world, and then he saw that that was a pretty big job, so he figured he'd just fix his town, and then he saw that that was really a big job, (laughs) and then he figured, you know what, let me just fix myself. (laughs) You know, a lot of people, they spend a lot of time concentrating on fixing everybody else, but not themselves. And it's very hard to fix other people. And you know what? It's very hard to fix yourself, too. (laughs) That's a lifetime's work. But if you fix yourself, that's awesome. And if you fix yourself, what you do, in addition to all the amazing tikkunim that radiate out from those acts, you actually inspire other people to fix themselves. So, so, you know, it was, it was very interesting the way Reb Shlomo worked because he was just a one-man, one-man show, basically. I mean, there were chevra around, but for the most part, it was just him, and he's traveling all over the world. And as he traveled around the world, what he would do is he would just inspire people, and then it was up to them to take the next steps. He didn't, he wasn't like, so, since the last time I saw you, what mitzvahs are you doing now that you weren't doing the last time I saw you? You know, let's hear, let me take out your file. Like, that wasn't it. And I can tell you, I can, I can promise you that the most meaningful type of spiritual work is done when someone is motivated to want to do it themselves. If they're being, if, if, if they're being supervised by someone else, this is why the whole day school system is so problematic, you know? I mean, it's great that people are getting these great educations. I mean, my daughter, it's like at, at 10, she was reading Rashi's. I mean, I can barely do that. You know, I mean, like there's a 10-year-old girl reading Rashi's. It's amazing, actually. On the other hand, though, you know, a lot of times if you, if you understand that your spiritual work is, is just school, is just a school assignment, then a lot of the whole engine of the real kind of like, you know, kind of like the, the nuclear fusion process, like someone's taking out the rods. You, you've got to want to do it yourself. doesn't mean people shouldn't go to schools like that. I, I'm, it, that's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm saying that that the most meaningful work is done when someone wants to do it themselves. And so the trick is, how do you get to, to how do you get someone to want to do it themselves? And probably the best way is if you yourself are doing it yourself. And then that radiates a certain energy and inspiration and leadership that people go, oh, that, that's, I want that too. I want that too. So, so each one of us is, is a Mishkan. And, and I, I guess one of the questions that is worth considering is what kind of building are we? Right? Like, you know, it's just another way of thinking about who you are. And, and what you project. Like, when you're in a room, did the neighborhood just get better? Did the real estate value just get higher? Or did it just go lower? <laughs> right? Are you, are you like, are you like a bodega in a bad neighborhood? <laughs> Where people come to buy liquor? <laughs> and cigarettes? <laughs> Or are you like a museum? Like, wow, you know? Like, 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 are you, like, seriously, like, what kind of structure are you? And how are people interacting with you? Like, when you walk in the room, did people go, oh, great, now I can get the latest gossip? Right? Are you like TMZ? Like you're like that's the structure I am. I'm a I'm a I'm like like a newspaper stand and I sell like gossip magazines. Right? Right? Are you like some like, you know, safer of Rebbe Nachman's, right? And it's like, wow, you know, inspiration just walked into the room. Whether you say anything or not, doesn't mean that, oh wow, I want to be like a Rebbe Nachman safer. Therefore, when I walk in, I have to make sure everyone shuts up because I walked in the room and everyone's going to listen to my great, you know, words of inspiration. I mean, then you're just, a, 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 you know, another form of a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it might be a holier one, but it's, it's obnoxious in another way. But if people know that's what's going on in your mind and in your life, whether you're saying it or not, then the Torahs are coming out of you, whether you're opening up your mouth or not. Because that's what people understand is giving you your life force. And so people are hearing it on a soul level, whether or not you're talking and whether or not they're hearing it, they're receiving it. I remember, you know, every once in a while, you know, when Reb Shlomo would be teaching, someone would fall asleep, and then, and then, uh, I remember one time someone was like, looked to Reb Shlomo and, you know, wanted to wake up the person, and Reb Shlomo stopped them and said, no, 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 these Torahs cut right through. 
Like he's, he can be sleeping, he's still learning these Torahs, it's, it's okay. I'm sure he was right, you know? Certain things, you know, it, it just, it cuts right through. And that's, that's what it means to, to really be a mishkan, right? You're that structure that's communicating these things. Um, so, so let's just add one, one last thing. And that's, I want to go back to something that um, the Ramban says and, and just spell it out and, and we'll end with this. Which is, again, just trying to understand the order of the Parshas. Because we've had like this like epic, epic, you know, telling of the Jews leaving Egypt and, and, and the the miracles, the wonders, the, the, the collapsing of the ancient Egyptian empire, which we're still talking about to this day because of its greatness. Moshe walking in with no weapons and an entire empire collapsing around him, taking out millions of people. Right? Amazing, amazing stuff. And then all of a sudden we get to these parshas about the Mishkan. Right? All of a sudden it becomes architectural digest. Like, what happened? What happened? <laughs> You know, and the answer, says the Ramban, is that the Mishkan was the headquarters, the dwelling place of the Shekhinah, God's revealed presence, right? That elevated energy in the world. And so when we're talking about the Mishkan now for the rest, for like for a long time now, like for a long time, what it's talking about in a deeper level is now that we've got our freedom, now that we've got our vision, which is the Torah, we've received the Torah, now we're turning the entire world into a dwelling place for godliness. That's the, that's the idea of this very detailed discussion of the Mishkan. It's not just about building a building. It's about turning the entire world into a vessel to contain this godliness. Now, with this in mind, I want to just add one more thing. You know, <coughs> I once heard from Gedaya Gerfein. He said, what's the difference between someone who believes in one God and someone who believes in many gods? So someone who believes in many gods says God is in the sun and God is in the stars and God is in the ocean and God is in the forests. But someone who believes in one God understands that the entire world exists within God. And that the one true God saturates all of reality. That's Hashem. Right? So if Hashem already saturates all of reality, like what's the whole idea of the Mishkan? Right? So... So let's, let's go further into this. You see, we Jews had the Big Bang Theory like thousands of years ago. And this is the way we said it. That God started with one physical point of matter. He created that. And then he radiated that out and created the entire world. Right? So that's the Big Bang. One point 
becoming the entire universe. But the rabbis go even further, and this is phenomenal. They say, well, what was that one point of matter? Right? And they answer, it was the foundation stone of the Beis HaMikdash, the holy temple in Yerushalayim, which is the same thing as the Mishkan. Right? Both of them are the portal between heaven and earth. Okay? The Mishkan was the prototype of the Beis HaMikdash. But spiritually speaking, they're one in the same idea. So if God took one point, which is the foundation stone of the Beis HaMikdash, and he created the entire universe out of that, that means that the entire universe is one big Beis HaMikdash. Right? It's all that all of reality, all the fabric of reality is made out of the DNA of the Beis HaMikdash. So this is, I don't know if it's the, the Rashbam, I think it's the Rashbam, the Rashbam, one or the other, says that when we wash our hands in the morning, right, because the Kahanim, before they would minister in the, in the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdash, they would wash their hands before they would walk in. He says, that's why we wash our hands in the, in, in the morning, because all of us, when we wake up, we're all ministering in this giant base of Migdash, which is the world. Wow. That's all of us. So you see that the entire world is the base of Migdash. So if the entire world is the base of Migdash, what do we need a base of Migdash for? That's the question. And the answer is, is that when we build the base of Migdash, when we turn the world into a base of Migdash, it's true, it already is on a deep level. But then our job is then to reveal that, that that's what's going on. See, God is already one. God is already one. But our job is to reveal God's oneness. And that's what we're doing with the Torah and the mitzvah. Because every time we do that, we reveal God's oneness. And we'll just end really with the, you know, just just one of the great, great gamachas, because how can we not? We're right at its doorstep. That Echad, which is one, right? We say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, God is one. Echad is the same gamachia, numerical value, as Ava, as love. Right? Because love reveals oneness. If you think of a a man and a wife, when they love each other, they become one. When you love someone and do an act of kindness for someone, there's oneness between you. When everyone loves each other, all the oneness that's already there becomes revealed. So Hashem should bless us, that we should, we should use our freedom and our vision to have a concrete plan, a concrete plan in our own lives. And to set very realistic goals for ourselves and to plan ahead so that we don't become crushed by our own ambitiousness and we don't become paralyzed by the amount of opportunities that present themselves to us. Someone was just bewailing a you know a societal problem to me the, the other day without going into detail. 
And I said to them, find one person who you can help, who has this issue, because you're very moved by this issue. You know, they were basically talking about the, the, how many people are trying to get married. I said, try to find one person who you can help. Because otherwise you're going to become so lost in the size of the issue that you're going to shut down. And it was a, a woman who was telling me this in front of her son. And after I told her that, she nodded and nodded. And then she said to her son, give him a hug for me. 